If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 35 to 48 in our time together. Growing up, I loved to play hide and seek. It was one of my, and I actually have to say, even in recent years, if children want to get together and play hide and go seek, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. But you know what's said, you hide and somebody's counting they always make those, they always say before they actually open their eyes, or they're supposed to, ready or not, here I come. Which just kind of sends, sends something through your system as you, are they going to find me or not? Um, that's true about the coming of Christ, isn't it? I mean, whether we're ready or not, in his timetable that he alone has designed, God will come. And, and the question is, are we ready? This particular text, Jesus has focused in the previous section when he was actually communicating to his people, look, don't get caught up in here and now. And he specifically, if you remember last week, used money, possessions as the problem. And he was saying how not to live for possessions, but how to use possessions in a way that honors him. Okay, that, that, that. That's the kind of the here and now. But then in the sermon, he turns and focuses and he says, but I want to talk to you about the there and then. Because that's really, really important that you know and that you're ready for that. Now, now I have to tell you, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me in this passage is um, we're in a different place than the disciples, aren't we? The disciples are living with Christ right now before his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, right? And we live after that in light of his second coming. So Jesus is talking to these guys past his death, burial, and resurrection to his second coming. Just kind of keep all that in mind. Notice what he says here in verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. That, that idea of being dressed in readiness is, is literally, um, you know, I think the King James kind of says, gird up your loins, which sounds a little bit like, hmm, like what's that all about you know um but but in the ancient world if we were all living in the ancient world we'd all be wearing kind of long gowns right i mean that's what they did and if all of a sudden you've got to run somewhere guess what you got to do you got to pull that up you got to tie it up around the waist so you, so you can run and so literally jesus is saying hey get ready and and have your lamps on I mean, they didn't have electricity in the ancient world. And so if you're waiting for somebody to come at night, all you had was a lamp. And the point is, keep that lamp burning all night. Always. Be ready. Girded up. Ready to go. Focused. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know how else to say this, but if we were racing, this text is saying, get ready, get set, wait. <laughs> right? But, 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 you know, be poised, man. And let your lamps be shining. Or, or lit. And then verse 36. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. So that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. In the ancient world, if... Uh, this whole side, if we were just servants of another, and I don't know, who should I pick out here? Oh, I, 
don't know. Jim. Let's say Jim is our master. And he's away actually getting married. And he's going to be coming back, man. And it's going to be great. But we don't know when he's coming back. And the point is, if we're a bunch of servants, everybody on this side, we're, we're, and you guys too, we're all servants, okay, except Jim. And, and so here we are, we're ready for, this, for him to come back. And somebody says, hey man, it's 12 o'clock, midnight, I'm going to bed. Yeah, but Jim said, when he's done, man, he's come, we need to be ready all night long. I know, man, but I am tired. And this text is saying, the servants are always ready. So look what he goes on to say. Look. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third watch. I don't care if it's midnight, two in the morning or four. Doesn't matter. And finds them so. Blessed are those slaves. Did you notice something there in the text that's really interesting to me? I remember several years ago coming upon this passage, and, and it was like a light went off in my head, and I said, what? Because this is what I kind of had always thought, and maybe you think this way too, I don't know. Kind of figured, you know, when Jesus was here in his first coming, he served us, didn't he? John chapter 13, he gets down, and he washes our feet. That's incredible. He died, buried, resurrected, ascended. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. That servant thing is done. That's kind of what I thought. And then I read this passage. And, and folks, it knocks me off my feet. Listen to what it says. Verse 37. I say to you, when he comes... He will gird himself to serve. Who does that? Servants do that. Have them recline at table and we'll come up and wait on them. It would be like this. Jim comes in and we're ready. Our lamps are on. He finally comes in. We're all excited. We're ready to do things for him. And he looks at all of us and says, sit down. What? Like we're supposed to sit down. No, sit down. Where's the food? Well, it's out there. Stay. I'll go get the food, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to celebrate, and I'm going to serve you. That's a, I didn't think it's supposed to work that way. And folks, all I can tell you is our blessed Lord is always a servant. He is king of kings and lord of lords. But he is so, he loves us so much that, that however this works its way out, and you know, and there's not a lot of other stuff that talks about this out in the New Testament, but, but it just tells me he loves us so much that he wants to show his love even by doing something like that. Isn't that amazing to you? Jesus says, guys, be ready. And when I come, I will do more than you can possibly imagine. So all you'll say, just like Paul says in Ephesians, for the ages to come, we will constantly be coming overwhelmed by his grace. Isn't that what happens? 
And I think we're going to end up in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth and all that. So we're just going to say like, holy mackerel. Wow. And I don't know what it all means, honestly. I know Randy Alcorn has written a uh, uh, book recently on heaven. Make some suggestions, some of which I think are very helpful, others which I don't know. But what I do know, it's going to be better than you can possibly imagine. As he just constantly says and shows us how much he loves us. Isn't that incredible? But Jesus says, you got to be ready. And so he, he uses another illustration here. Look at what he says here in verse 39. And, and be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. When we had moved into our current house, we'd only been there a couple months, and um, one day, we were getting ready to, for vacation Bible school, actually. And, and we're getting the kids all together and ready to run out the door. And I, I did see some people down the street who I hadn't seen before hanging around. I thought, eh, whatever, whatever. We hopped in the car and we left. Sure enough, they broke into our house, stole some stuff which my wife was actually delighted about because they actually stole a PlayStation and she didn't want it there anyway. So, so my kids to this day wonder if, if Shuri set the whole thing up. I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't know, whatever. You know, so, I mean, they didn't, they didn't, I mean, they left my camera and my video stuff. So I thought, you know, I mean, so we figured it was kids who wanted a PlayStation and, and whatever, whatever it was. But broke in and came out. And, and I remember talking to the police officer about it. And, you know, I thought he'd be a little bit more empathetic. And he looked at me and said, well, you know, you should have had locks on your windows. Okay, well, I got locks on my windows now. You know, they only go up so far now. So I'm ready. Well, can you ever be ready for a thief to break in? I don't know if you can, but, but I'm more ready, if you will. And, and he says, look, um, the point is, Jesus is not coming like a thief in a way that's, don't think that negatively. He's only using that imagery to say unexpectedly. So be ready because it will happen when I went out the door that day, I wasn't thinking like, hey, kids, let's rearrange some stuff because a thief is coming in today. I didn't know. No, we just went on with life. But he says, be ready because you never know when he's going to come. So Jesus says, yeah, you got to live in the here and now. you got to deal with possessions. It's part of life. Fair enough. But you got to live in light of the there and then. He's coming a glorious day. Be ready. Well, Peter's listening to all this. Dear Peter, whenever he asks a question, I mean, when will he learn? Peter, stop asking questions because whenever you ask questions, it kind of turns on you a little bit, doesn't it? But, but what I love about Peter is he's engaged, he's listening. That's good stuff. So notice what happens here in verse 41. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? I don't know exactly what he's thinking there. Lord, is this just for us leaders 
disciples or you talk into the multitude as a whole. And Jesus doesn't directly answer. Jesus doesn't say, well, Peter, I'm speaking. No. What he does, you know what he does? He gives another story. And in the story, he talks both about leaders like Peter and disciples in general and people who profess to be disciples. So he kind of kind of looks at the full scale. Let me read this because this is one of the most um, it's a really challenging story, folks. It's a parable. And, and, and there's minor parallels with some of the other ones and some of the other Gospels, but this is unique. And so I will try to talk you through it in a way that I think is honoring to the text, but it is controversial. Listen to what it says. Verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible or wise steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give, to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. So, let's use Jim again. I mean, we're picking on Jim today, so Jim, you're the guy. So Jim looks at me and says, hey, Doug, I'm going to be away for a significant period of time, an undetermined period of time. And I'm putting you in charge, and you need to be overseeing, as my steward and representative, you need to be caring for the other servants so everybody is fed and cared for. Yes, sir. And Jim, Jim takes off. The text says, you know, if Doug does what he's supposed to do, Doug, Doug cares for those people, and people need, and we have rations, and there's, Jim's told us what to do with this whole thing, so this is what we need to do. And I just kind of do what Jim told me to do. What happens when Jim comes back? When Jim comes back, looks over, and of course, nobody does it perfectly. Person, it's not doing it perfectly, it's doing it faithfully. There's a difference. He comes back. And he sees what, what I've done and, you know, and, and says, hey, Doug, uh, thank you. And um, now that I'm back, I want to give you some more privileged responsibility. Now, what does that mean in eternity, folks? I don't know exactly. <laughs> I mean, Paul will talk about us being part of, in 1 Corinthians 6, about judging angels. And we know that we will reign with Christ, right, in Revelation. But what does it mean for us to be given more meaningful kinds of responsibilities in the new heavens and the new earth? I don't know exactly, but I know what the text says. And that's one scenario. So Peter asks his question, and Jesus says, you know, for leaders, leaders are supposed to lead this way. And folks, I, I, I didn't set this up. It, this was the text. And he didn't ask me to say any of this. But why are we bringing a man like James into this whole mix? Because as a leadership team, we believe he's this kind of a man. That's the bottom line. Because what we need are leaders that will feed and oversee the people of God in a way that honors Christ. 
I mean, that's, that's, that's how it works. We have a leadership team, and we feel we need more to do that effectively. And it's true, as leaders, we become culpable and more responsible. That's all true. It's all true. That's how it works. So that's the one scenario. Peter asks this question, Lord, is this for us or everybody? And Jesus says, well, it's definitely for you, but it's going to include others as you listen to my parable. But here's the great scenario. If you just faithfully minister to my people, not perfectly, I, the gracious God, will do things you can't possibly imagine when I come back. But there's another scenario. This is the negative one. Look what he says in verse 45. But if that slave says in his heart, isn't it interesting it happens where? In his heart. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming. Jim isn't going to be coming. I don't think Jim's going to be coming back for a long time. After all, come to think of it, Jim kind of gets under my skin a little bit anyway. I mean, I don't know all with this guy. I, I don't believe that about Jim. But I'm just saying, you know, that kind of thing is going through this guy's mind. Not you, Jim, and me, but, you know, in the illustration. All right. But my guess is that's the kind of thing that's going on in this guy's mind. My master will be a long time in coming. And he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. So Jim's gone. And when I no longer feel that pressure, because perhaps in my heart I don't really love him anyway. So when the pressure of he might come is off, I now see people not as somebody to minister to for the king, but somebody to manipulate and abuse for me. And that's exactly what I do. I don't care. He's not here. You answer to me, pal. You don't eat. You, no, that's mine. Yeah, I, I can be a glutton and a drunk. Tough. It's me, not you. That's what happens. And I forget him because at the end of the day, I don't really love him. And I use people. Does that ever happen with ministry? I don't know if I, I, may have, I think I may have said this to you. I, mean, if I, I think I said a couple weeks ago, but I had a teacher that told me years ago, he said, Doug, people go into ministry either because it's a calling or a pathology. <laughs> I've thought often about that one. There are some people who, as Paul tells us over in the pastoral epistles, that will view ministry as a way to have personal gain for themselves. And so ministry is not about a master. It's all about manipulation for their own purposes. I wonder about this time if Peter's kind of gulping. Lord, is this part, are you telling these stories to us or everybody? And Jesus is saying, I'm definitely telling it to you, Peter. <laughs> definitely. But you're going to see as I go along, it's for others too. And, and, and so it, there's this one stance that says, as a representative of him, I give. There's another stance that says, I use. Do you see? So what does he do? The master of that slave will come, verse 46, on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now that's, that's pretty strong language. 
So Jim shows up. Kills me. And I end up with unbelievers. Is that person a believer? It can't be a believer. Are there people who are involved in ministry who say they are something which they are not? And the way they function in ministry indicates who they really are in their hearts. Oh, yeah, folks. Absolutely. It made me think of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a really interesting, matter of fact, there's some interesting parallels of all the passages. This one kind of comes to my mind. Listen to what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is passionate about the people of God and the community of faith. He, like Jesus Christ, does not take it lightly when leaders abuse people. Mm -mm, not at all. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, he says this. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Now, there he's not talking about Doug Finkbeiner or you as an individual. There he's talking about us as a corporate body. Do you not know, if I was in the South, that you guys are a temple of God? Okay? And that the Spirit of God dwells among you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will what? God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. God says, my people are so precious. Don't hurt them. Don't manipulate them. Don't use them. Rather, love them and minister to them as my representative. Do you see? We all know people on the TV and radio, and perhaps it's been an experience you've had in a previous ministry. I don't know. There's been a lot of people hurt by some very poor leaders. And none of us as, as leaders are perfect. So if you're looking for perfect leaders, you probably should just leave because <laughs> we're not perfect either. No way. We seek to be faithful. By God's good grace. And Jesus says. So some will give and minister. Others will forget the king. And manipulate. And they will be eternally damned for it. I mean. I, I, I'm just telling you what the text says. You can take it up with God. But then he mentions some other slaves. And this one's kind of interesting. As to who he's referring to. And I'll give you my spin on it. Verse 47. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. So it's easy enough in the story to figure out what's going on. In the story, what, what it's saying. What's, what's challenging is who's it referring to? But the story's pretty clear. So Jim comes back. I'm done. I mean, I'm finished. But um, he sees Bobby. 
And, you know, Bobby had, Bobby's one of the, one of the ministers, supposed to be doing things. He says, Bobby, uh, how's it going? And Bobby says, well, you know, life has been challenging, busy. I have a series of interests. I mean, I, I, I love you, Jim. I'm glad you're back. Um, but, 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 like, Bobby, the, the things that I wanted you to do, how's that going? Well, I, you know, I haven't gotten to it yet. I mean, it's not that it's not important to me, Jim. You know, I, I was planning on it, but I, but I haven't gotten to it yet. And there's disciplinary action for Bobby. Oh, then he sees Dave. Dave, how's it going? Dave says, well, how's what going? Well, the stuff you're supposed to be doing. Well, I never got the memo. I mean, I, I know I'm your slave. I, I, I know I'm here. I'm supposed to do. But honestly, nobody even told me what, I'm, what my responsibilities are. Well, well Dave, um, you should at least sort something out on that one, shouldn't you? Well, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I should have. He gets disciplined too, but not quite as much as Bobby. Because Bobby knew and Dave didn't. So who's that referring to? While some scholars will want to argue that this is indicative of people who are not believers, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think these are true Christians. And I, I would again go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and tell you there are people who will stand before God. Remember what the Bible says? They will be saved so as by what? So is by fire. Is it possible for a believer to love Christ, do some things, hold off on a lot of things that he knows his Lord wants him to do? Is it possible for him to still end up in heaven? Sure. Are, are, are there believers out there like Dave who frankly have never been taught? They just don't know a lot. Kind of doing the best they can, but you know, that kind of will go with anything that kind of comes along. You know, I, I know this. And will believers stand before Jesus Christ? Will they be condemned for those things? No. No, 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 no. That is forever taken care of at the cross. Will they be evaluated? As 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, as Romans 14 tells us. So much so that Paul can say, when he thinks about the judgment seat of Christ, he'll say, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So the judgment seat, when we're judged, what that all, he will not judge you in a final sense for the penalty of your sins. That was taken care of at the cross. You were secure in him if you know Jesus Christ. But there will be an evaluation of how you lived your life as a steward of his. Some like Bobby will know more. Some like Dave will know less. Those that indicate no love for Christ and manipulation of people will indicate that they never knew him to start with. And they'll be judged in hell. But there will be believers who are saved, so it's by, so it's by fire. But do you really want to count on that one <laughs> you know what I mean like you know 
I'm banking on the seed, so is by fire one. Now, don't bank your life there, folks. Because it's very easy for people who think they're there not to actually be there. And in this passage, Jesus is telling us, if you know me as Lord and Savior, it should change everything because I'm coming back. Are you ready? In May 19, May 19, 1780, um, I was reading yesterday about what is called New England's Dark Day. You ever hear about this? I found it from a really good source, Wikipedia. <laughs> so you always have to, but I, I tried to do some cross-referencing to find out that, yeah, it's legit, okay. So, but, but I know you always have to be careful with Wikipedia. But apparently on May 19, 1780, up in the area of Connecticut, New York, I think a little bit, maybe even down our way a bit into Jersey, but primarily in Connecticut. Apparently, there was just massive fires in Canada. Well, in 1780, you know, it's not like you have a cell phone that you can pop out and figure out, oh, the weather is fine in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. You only know what you're experiencing there, and that could be cosmic. Who knows? So there was this massive fire in Canada. And it was a rainy and a foggy day, apparently. And all of that meshed together. And at 12 noon on this day, it went totally black. I mean, you were, you were in the dead of night. You couldn't see stars. You could, you know, if you, anything about the sun, it was bloody red or whatever. It was just, you couldn't see a thing. People panicked. And you, you can't imagine. I mean, I, I didn't read all the stuff about all the religious things that were saying, but, but it, it's actually out of this event that the Seventh-day Adventists actually point back to this event as, as a forerunner, the coming of Christ. It, it was really just a bad fire. But they didn't know it because it had all traveled down and the cloudy and the rain and all kind of came. Well, the Connecticut House was meeting together that day and, of course, if you think it's the end, do you really want to be deliberating? <laughs> so everybody was saying, we should just adjourn and go home. And there was a man there by the name of Abraham Davenport, a believer. And his words are recorded uh, several ways, but the one I want to pick up on is what, he, what was actually said about him in a poem that was written later. Um, and this is, this is what, the, what the author says. Trembling beneath their legislative robes, they said as a group, it is the Lord's great day, let us adjourn. And then, as if with one accord, all eyes were turned to Abraham Davenport. He rose, slow cleaving with his steady voice, and then said, this well may be the day of judgment which the world awaits. But be it so or not, I only know my present duty and my Lord's command to occupy till he come. So at the post where he has set me in his providence, I choose for one to meet him face to face. No faithless servant frightened from my task, but ready when the Lord of the harvest calls. And therefore, with all reverence, I would say, let God do his work. We will see to ours. Bring in the candles. Let's deliberate. See what he was saying? Davenport was saying, I don't know if this is the day. If it is, 
I would do exactly what I'm doing right now. If it isn't, I will do exactly what I'm doing right now. You know why? Because he lived in light of the coming of Christ. Occupy until he comes. What does that mean for a young mother with children? It probably looks a little bit different than it does for a retiree. Or a traveling businessman. Or a family on vacation or whatever the case may be. But here's the point, folks. Jesus is calling us to be conscious of his presence and the possibility of his coming in everything we do so that that fact shapes everything that we do. Does that make sense? We like Davenport should say, whether today's the day or not, I will do what he's called me to do and I will leave that timing with him. So my question is, are you ready? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, oh, if you maybe have professed faith in Christ, but you know in your heart, it's just mechanical for you. You got to come to the cross, find forgiveness from him. He will save you, forgive you, reorient you, and set you on a path as a forgiven follower of his. That's what he'll do. And if you're on that path, brothers and sisters, what is more important than Jesus? Anything. It can be good things. It doesn't have to be bad things. But oh, that we would live with this consciousness that my blessed Lord who has died for me and has forgiven me and is now ruling is coming back. And I just want to live in such a way that I honor him. That's what this text is calling us to do. And it manifests itself often in the way I treat other believers. Doesn't it? Occupy until he comes. In Titus 2, because sometimes when you talk about the coming of Christ, people think, well, you're so focused on accountability, where's grace? Paul would never confuse the two. He would mesh them all together. And Paul will say in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, teaching everyone to live differently as they watch and wait for his blessed coming. Do you see? It's all a package together. You have one, you have the other. So I call you brothers and sisters. Think. What does it mean for you to occupy until he comes in light of your particular situation. If you wrestle with that and talk to others about that, I think you'll find in the long run you will be a faithful servant of his. Father,